Hello, everybody. This is Kia from Wicked Majesty, and you are listening to Tea and Terror Podcast, the show that entertains with true and fictional stories from beyond the grave for people who love horror. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the final episode of the Mask of the Red Death series. To those of you just joining in, where on earth have you been? I urge you to listen to parts one through five of the series so you'll be up to date with the story. Please post your comments, everyone, and reviews. I would love to hear from all my viewers and listeners. Now, here it is. The Mask of the Red Death, Part 6. Amid the profusion of gold ornaments that lay scattered to and fro, or depended on the roof, there was no knowledge of any kind emanating from lamp or candle within the suite of chambers, but in the corridors that followed the suite, there stood opposite to each other, a heavy tripod bearing a brazier of fire that, that projected its rays through, uh, through the tinted glass and so glaringly illumined the room, and thus were produced a multitude of gaudy and fantastic appearances, but in the western or black chamber, the effect of the firelight that streamed upon the dark hangings through the blood-tinted panes was ghastly in the extreme and produced so wild a look on the consciences of those who entered that there were few of the company old enough to set foot within the precincts at all. It was the endless apartment also that there stood against the western wall, a gigantic oak clock of ebony. Its pendulum swung to and fro with a dull, heavy, monotonous clang, and when the minute hand made the circuit of the face, and the hour was to be stricken, there came from the brazen lungs of the clock a sound which was clear and loud and deep and exceedingly musical, but of so peculiar a note and emphasis that each lapse of an hour the musicians of the orchestra were constrained to pause momentarily in their performance to hearken this to the sound, and thus the waltzers performed performance ceased their evolutions, and there was a brief disconcert of the whole gay company. And while the chimes of the clock yet rang, it was observed that the hideous grew pale, and the more aged and sedated passed their hands over their brows, as if in confused reverie or meditation. But when their brows, but when the echoes had fully ceased, a light laughter at once pervaded the assembly. The musicians looked at each other and smiled as if it had their own nervousness and folly, and made whispering vows each others, each to each to the other, that the, uh, that the next chiming, that the next chiming of the clock should produce in them no similar emotion. And then, after the lapse of sixty minutes, which embraced three thousand and six hundred seconds of the time that flies, there came a, yet another chiming of the clock, and then there were at the same concert a tremulous and meditation as before. But in spite of all, all these things, it was a gay and magnificent reveal. The taste of the Duke were were peculiar. He had a fine eye of help for colors and effects. He disregarded the decora 
of the mere fashion. His plans were bold and fiery, and his conceptions flowed with barbaric luster. There are some who would have thought him mad. His followers felt that he was not. It was necessary to hear and see and touch him to be sure that he was not. He had directed in great part the movable embellishments of the seven chambers. Upon occasion of this great feat, and it was his own guiding taste which had given character to the masqueraders, he showed they were grotesque. There were much glare and glitter and piquancy, piquancy, and phantasm, much of what has been since has been succeeded in Hermione. There were arabesque passions. There were many, there were much of the beautiful, much of the wanton, much of the bizarre, something of the terrible, and not a little of that, which might have excited disgust. To and fro in the seven chambers, there stalked, in fact, a multitude of dreams, and these dreams, these, the dreams, writhed in and about, taking hue from the rooms, and causing the wild music of the orchestra to seem as the echo of the of their step, and Evan there strikes the ebony, <coughs> the ebony clock, which stands in the hall of the velvet, and then for a moment all is still and all is silent, save the voice of the, the dreams are stiff frozen as they stand, but the echoes of the chime die away, they have endured but an instant, and a light that hath subdued laughter falls after them as they depart, and now again the music swells, and the dreams live and writhe to and fro, more narrowly than ever, taking hue from many tinted windows, through which stream the rays from the tripods. But to the chamber which lies most westwardly of the seven, there are now none of the masters, whom venture for the night is waiting away, and there flows a rudier light through the blood-colored panes, and the blackness of the same draperies. Appalls, and to him which whose foot, to him whose foot falls upon the sable carpet, there comes from the mere clock of ebony a muffled peal more solemnly emphatic than any which reaches their ears who indulge in the more remote eddies of the other apartments. But these other apartments were densely crowded, and in them beat feverishly the heart of life, and the revel went willingly on until at length there commenced the sounding of midnight upon the clock, and then the music ceased, as I have told, and the evolutions of the waltzers were quieted, and there was an uneasy cessation of all things as before, and now there were twelve strokes to be sounded by the bell of the clock, and thus it happened. Perhaps the more of thought crept, with more of time, into the meditations of the thoughtful among those who revealed, and thus too it happened, perhaps, that before the last echoes of the last chime had utterly sunk into silence, there were many individuals in the crowd who had found leisure to become aware of the presence of the, of the masked figure, which had arrested the attention of no single individual before, and the rumor of this news, of this new presence, having spread itself whisperingly around, there arose at length from the whole company a buzz or murmur, expressive of disapprobation, disapprobation, and surprise, and finally, of terror, of horror, and of disgust, in an assembly of phantasm, such as I have painted, it may well be supposed that no ordinary appearance could have excited such sensation, 
The truth of the masquerade license of the night was nearly unlimited, but the figure in question had out-heralded, herald, and gone beyond the bounds of even the prince's infinite, indefinite decor. There are chords in the hearts of the most reckless, which cannot be touched without emotion. Even with the utterly lost, to whom life and death are equally just, there are matters of which no jest can be made. The whole company indeed seemed now deeply to feel that in the costume and bearing of the stranger, neither wit nor propriety, propriety, propriety existed. The figure was tall and gaunt, and it shrouded from and shrouded from the head to foot in the habiliments of the grave. The mask which concealed the visage was made so nearly to resemble the countenance of a stiffened corpse that the closest scrutiny must have had difficulty in detecting the cheat. And yet all of this might have been endured, if not approved, by the mad revealers around. But the murmur had gone so far as to assume the type of the red death. His vesture was dabbled in blood, and his brow, broad, brow, brow, his brow, broad, brow, brow, with all the features of the face, was besprinkled with a scarlet war. When the eyes of the Prince Prospero fell upon this spectral image, which with a slow and solemn movement, as if more fully to sustain its role, stalked to and fro among the waltzers, he was set, he was seen to be convulsed in the first moment with a strong shudder, with a strong shudder, either of terror, either of terror or distaste, but in the next, his brow reddened with rage. Who dares? He demanded hoarsely of the counters, who stood near him. Who dares insult us with his blasphemous mockery? Seize him and unmask him. We may know whom we have to hang at sunrise from the battlements. It was in the eastern or blue chamber in which stood the Prince Prospero as he uttered these words. It rang throughout the seven rooms loudly and clearly. For the prince was a bold and robust man, and the music had become hushed at the wavering of his hand. It was in the blue room where stood this, the prince, with a group of pale courtiers by his side. At first he spoke, as he spoke, there was a slight hot-brushing movement of this group in the direction of the intruder, who at the moment was also near hand, and now, with deliberate and stately step, made closer approach to the speaker. But from the, from the certain nameless awe with which the mad assumptions of the murmur had inspired the whole party, there were none, there were found none who put forth hand to seize him, so that unimpeded he passed within a yard of the prince's person, and while the vast assembly, as if with one impulse, shrank from the sentries of the rooms to the walls, he made his way uninterruptedly, but with the same solemn and measured step. Which he, which had distinguished him from the first, through the blue chamber to the purple, through the purple to the green, through the green to the orange, through this again to the white, and even thence to the violet. Here, a decided movement had made made arrest to him. Made had made to arrest him. It was then, however, that the prince Prospero, maddened with rage and the same of his own momentary, momentary cowardice, rushed hurriedly through the six chambers, while none followed him on account of a deadly terror that had seized upon all. He bore aloft a drawn banner, and had approached in rapid impetuosity to within three or four feet of the retreating figure, when the latter, the latter, when the latter, later, the latter, had attained the extremity, extremity 
of the velvet apartment, turned suddenly and confronted his pursuer. There was a sharp cry, and the dagger dropped, falling upon the sable carpet, upon which instantly, upon which instantly, afterward, fell prostrate in the death of Prince Prospero. The summoning of the wild courage of despair, a throng of the revelers, at once threw themselves into the black apartment, and ceasing the murmur, whose tall figure stood erect and motionless within the shadow of the ebony clock, gasped in unutterable horror at finding the grave surrounds and corpse-like hypnotic, which they handled with so violent a rudeness, untempted untempted by any tangible form, and now was acknowledged the presence of the Red Death. He had come like a thief in the night, and one by one dropped the revealers in the blood bedowed halls of the Rebel, and died in each in the despairing posture of his fall. And the life of the Ebony Clock went out with that of the last of the day, and the flames of the tripods expired, and darkness and decay, and the Red Death held illimitable, unlimitable dominion over all. Well, that is our episode for the week. Thank you for listening. If you want to hear more episodes coming up in the future, then definitely add the tea and terror to your playlist on Spotify or Apple Podcast. You can also check out the show on my Wicked Majesty channel. This is Kia, and I will catch you next week. Same time, same place. Have a good night.